Amen. So I just want to tell everyone a story that I heard first. But before I do that, I figured something out. I figured out which is God's favorite planet. You know which one it is? It's Saturn, because he put a ring on it. So anyway, I got to tell you this story I heard. I might have said it before, but hopefully you forgot I said it. But, but I heard about this little girl that went to her mother. And she asked her mother, where, where do people come from? And her mother said, well, thousands of years ago, God created a place called the Garden of Eden. And he created Adam and Eve. They were the first people. And everyone since them came from Adam and Eve were created by God. Then she went to her father and said, where do people come from? Her father said, oh, people came through evolution. At one time, we were apes and monkeys and then became people. She went back to her mother and she said, I'm confused. My father told me we came from apes and monkeys. You told me that we were created by God. Which is it? The mother said, don't be confused at all. The girl said, why not? The mother said, I told you about my side of the family, and your father told you about his side of the family. That's about it for that. So so I'm going to be speaking today actually about the Bible itself, the Word of God. Because if there's anything today that people mock and ridicule and say that it's worthless, people from our culture, it's the Bible. So I'm going to start off with some quotes that that I've heard of, of what some people or institutions today have said about the Bible. The Huffington Post said in an article that although that ancient book still plays a prominent role in Judeo-Christian religious traditions, its content is seriously out of touch with modern American values. According to Miley Cyrus, We've outgrown that fairy tale like we've outgrown Santa and the Tooth Fairy. A British actor, Ian McClellan, said, I've often thought the Bible should have a disclaimer in the front saying that it is fiction. According to actress Emma Thomas, she said, I'm offended by the Bible. Billy Joel called it a religious fairy tale, and Bruce Willis reduces it to modern mythology. A former pastor who had a church called the Rock Church of 20,000 people named Rob Bell said, I think culture is already there and the church will continue to be even more irrelevant when it quotes letters from 2,000 years ago. In other words, this doesn't pertain to us today. Here's a quote from comedian Ricky Gervais. It's almost as if the Bible was written 
by racist, sexist, homophobic, violent men instead of a loving God. Now, is that true? Is the Bible an outdated fairy tale, totally irrelevant and a danger to today's enlightened society? You see, since the Bible was written through the centuries, many kings, religious leaders, cultural icons, philosophers, and educators have seen this word of God as a threat that needed to be silenced. For the past 2,000 years, many have been persecuted and killed by governments and religions trying to wipe out the word of God. The Bible, in fact, is the most banned book and the most burned book in in history. Hundreds of years ago, men like Jan Hus and William Tyndale were burned alive just for translating the Bible into their own languages so that everyone could have access to it. You know why? Because you can't control people if they understand the word. If people understand the grace and the mercy and the love of God, you can't oppress them. It's a danger for people to have this word. If you're a tyrant, an oppressor, slaves in the South weren't allowed to read and couldn't have the Bible because the slave owners knew that this is a book of freedom, a book of worth and dignity. In fact, people like Sojourner Truth and Harriet Tubman, who were former slaves, they took hold of the word of God, got free, and they pronounced freedom. They were freedom workers based on this word. In 1572 in France, an estimated 100,000 Christians called Huguenots were all killed in one day. A hundred thousand Christians killed in one day for possessing and teaching the Bible. This was known as Saint ba- the Saint, ba- Saint Bartholomew's Day Massacre. Was marked by unrelenting episodes of harassment, property seizure, torture, execution, and slaughter. And here's a history lesson for some of you. The Huguenots, those who weren't killed that day, they came to America and they founded a town called New Rochelle. You know that New Rochelle was was built based on the word of God by persecuted Christians. Today, in our world today, according to a ministry called Open Doors USA, that brings the word of God throughout the nations. Up to three generations of a family can face imprisonment and even death if even one member of the family is caught with a Bible in North Korea. In Central Asia, Christians' homes are raided to see if they are guilty of the crime of owning a Bible. Terror groups across the Middle East and increasingly in parts of Africa, target Christians, people of the word, for torture and death. You see, tyrants and governments have tried to destroy it. The culture has mocked and ridiculed it. Schools have banned it. Other 
religions have tried to eradicate it by the blood of those who taught it and upheld it and believed it. But Jesus said in Matthew 24, 35, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. His word is eternal. You could burn it. You could make it illegal, but you can't stop it. You see, the Bible is not racist and sexist, and it does not promote violence or oppression of the poor unless people choose to twist the truths of the Bible and misuse it. Think of Jesus. He gave dignity and opportunity and worth to women who in that culture were refused schooling and were considered the property of men. Up to the time of Jesus, women couldn't even be taught or hear the word of God. But Jesus gave to women gifts, spiritual gifts, and they prophesied and they taught and they preached. That's not, this is not a sexist word, as the, as the culture would say. Jesus spent much of his time with poor, broken people who were considered outcasts and those from other cultures who were considered as having no value. This is not a racist book. As, as those in the culture would, would try to proclaim. Jesus brought value to unloved people, to prostitutes, to failures, to those considered the outcasts of society. Jesus gave them back their dignity. Jesus spoke against hatred and elitism and violence. This is not a book promoting violence. When Peter took up a sword to fight the enemy, Jesus told him, put down your sword because those who live by the sword will die by the sword. The Bible was not just written by men, but 1 Timothy 3.16 says that God breathed his life and his spirit into those words. This is the very word of heaven, the word of God. It was written by men, but as men wrote it down, the very spirit of God, the breath of God blew on those pens. And God spoke life into his Bible. The Bible was written by about 40 different writers scattered over a period of about 1,500 years. But if you put it all together, it tells a united story of a fallen human race in need of a savior. Hundreds of prophecies in this book, written by different authors throughout the scriptures, were fulfilled. None of these authors got together and knew each other. They lived 1,500 years apart. This, this is not people coming together trying to take over the world, confuse the world. These were separate individuals in different places. But the message is the same, that the Messiah is coming to save us from our sins.
hundreds of prophecies written by different authors were fulfilled in the coming of Jesus and in the regathering of Israel. Throughout the Bible, it said that the Jewish nation would be scattered. The people would be scattered through the four corners of the earth. And one day, it says in Isaiah 37, it'll, Israel will be like a valley of dry bones. But God would breathe life and resurrect them from the dead. And at, right after the Holocaust in the 1930s and 40s, where six million Jews were killed, and it looked like it was all over. It was like a valley of death. God breathed light, and and the nation of Israel was born, just like it says in this book, after 2,000 years. The only nation in the history of the world that was ever destroyed and then resurrected again. When Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to more than 500 witnesses over 40 days, proving the truth of his message. His coming back from the dead proves that this word is the truth. The the Bible itself describes itself. It says that the scripture is like water that cleanses your mind and heart. It's like a lamp that guides your steps, a seed that multiplies, milk, meat, bread, and honey that satisfy your soul. It's like a hammer that breaks through hard hearts and walls that keep you from your breakthrough. It's like a fire that ignites passion and revivals and burns away impurities. It's an anchor of faith and hope. It's rain that brings refreshing. It's gold that makes you wise. It's a bow that brings justice. And it's a two-edged sword that is alive and active, exposing hidden motives and destroying the work of the enemy. You can go home, take this word, and kick every demon out of your house. There's power in this word. We don't back down. Oh, the enemy people call me. Oh, the enemy's been after me this week. Oh, you got to pray for me, that devil. No, you take that word and you proclaim it against, the Bible says, the gates of hell will not prevail against you. You see, there's power in the word of God. It's not just good information. Don't read the Bible just to learn things. As you read it, let those words come alive and jump off the page. What I do, I declare God's word over my circumstances. I challenge my situation to line up with God's word. Now, let me explain how this works. I'm going to give you one more, one more quote from the comedian slash Bible scholar Ricky Gervais. He said, beliefs don't change facts. Facts, if you're reasonable, should change your beliefs. In other words, what he's saying is, this is a bunch of lies. It doesn't line up with the facts. But here's the thing. There's a difference between the fact and the truth. 
the facts are determined by what I can see, hear, and feel. But the truth is determined by God's word. I declare God's truth over the facts. See, the fact might be that I'm broke. Maybe that's a fact. I don't, maybe I got nothing in my pocket. So what do I do? I declare God's truth over my bank account. What is his truth? My God will supply all of my needs. Maybe I'm feeling overwhelmed. The things of life, I feel like I'm falling apart. That's a fact sometimes. How many of you sometimes that's just a fact of life? Sometimes you're overwhelmed. That's a fact, but that ain't the truth. The truth is that my God is in control of every situation and circumstance. The truth, the, the, the fact might be that I'm sick. I have pain in my body. But what's the truth? By his stripes, I am healed. The fact might be that I feel like a failure. But the truth is, in the Bible, I am an overcomer. I might, the fact might be, I feel insignificant and worthless. But the truth is, I'm not worthless. I'm a child of the king. Stop living by facts. Don't live by what you feel, by what you see, by what looks apparent. You better know this word and you declare it, proclaim it. Until your circumstances lies, lines up with God's promises. I'm going to read a scripture, Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 27. It's called, this is called the parable of the wise and foolish builders. Verse 24, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not, it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. You see, this is one of Jesus' parables. Often Jesus spoke in parables. They were not true stories. They were simple stories used to illustrate a spiritual truth. In this story, you are the builder. You are the one who builds, and, your, and the house you build is your life. If you build on the rock, you are building on the good foundation of the word of God. You're making your life built on
on this, on God's very word, on his Bible, on his holy scripture. I make this the foundation of my faith. Or you can build on a foundation of sand. The foundation of sand is built when you ignore the Bible and live life your way, on your own terms. You know that song, I Did It My Way? That's the theme song in hell. (laughs) Or, Or we build our life doing it the way that everybody does it. I know what the Bible says, but that's the old times. We don't do it that way anymore. You're building on sand. And when the storms come, you're not gonna make it. The only way I can proclaim that I'm still standing right now is the word of God. The storms have come. I've got knocked around pretty good. I get hit by the winds and the rain. But I'm still standing. That's my testimony today. I'm still going. The enemy has not prevailed in my life. The scripture says if I'm not standing on God's word, I'll be like a boat tossed back and forth. Every time something happens, it pushes me away from God. And then then I'm back to God. Then I get pushed back out the door. And the next time I'm going through more trouble, I show up again like a boat. I don't want to be like a boat pushed back and forth by waves. I want to stand strong for God. God has a purpose and a destiny for my life. You are not built to break. You are built to last, to make it to the end. And and I want to show you someone else today that's been built to last. I'm going to ask Shana to come up. Oh, where did she go? Oh. Let's have a big hand for Shana, who's built her house on the rock. Okay, good morning. Well, good afternoon, everyone. So, as he mentioned, my name is Shana. Some of you may not know me. A few of you do. So, um, Pastor Gary asked me to share a brief testimony on one time when um, I was living in a trouble of sin. So... Just to give you like a brief story about me, I'm the only one in my family as of right now that serves the Lord, but we all know that that will change, just saying. So, <laughs> so um, it was very, it was such a burdensome for me, like all the time coming home from church, just excited, thrilled, I was 17 and just wanted to share the word with my parents, with my family members and they were like, oh my God, here she comes, you got to be careful with her, blah, 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 blah. The only Christian in my family, and everyone in my family thinks that Christianity is just full of hypocrisy. So it was really difficult, and I looked for any way out, any way out to escape my house. I didn't care. I was that girl that any little thing my mom said, I'm like, well, I'm leaving. Well, I'm leaving. So there came a time where I took the opportunity to leave, and I got engaged to someone who, as you can see, wasn't right for me. So, (laughs) yeah. So with that being said, um, 
I, I accepted, you know, I was like, yeah, sure, let's get married, whatever. And we moved to Long Island to fulfill his dream, not mine. But that was fine in that moment because I wasn't home, so it was cool. So living in sin, um, a lot of things did lead up to that. When we, when we did leave, we were attending a certain place that was not healthy for us in our faith. We thought it was, but it really wasn't, and it turned out to be like Calvinism, which was really scary, and I did develop some church hurt from that. So I didn't want to come back to that place. So I'm in Long Island with him, and I then realized that all my guilt was for a reason. I started seeing signs of infidelity. Um, it was just a lot of things, and again, I was living in lots of sin, so it was it wasn't helping because you open the door to sin and things just start flying in left and right. You don't know what hit you. I would pray and I'll, you know, try to encourage him. I do have an encouraging spirit. So I try to encourage him like we should, you know, we don't have to be in a church to serve the Lord. We can do it right here. And of course, no, we just, we continue to stumble. So, um, like fast forward to that. There was one day where I was just painting my nails in my room and um, I was tired of arguing. I was tired of fighting because there was no point in that. I was not getting my joy out of it. I was just not happy. So I'm painting my nails, reading the Bible, and it just completely, like, overwhelms me to realize that God's grace has been so, so good and so evident in our lives. You know, we had jobs that we couldn't afford things, and we were always able to get you know, we were able to have a car. We were able to always have food in our mouths. And even though we were living in sin, God was still gracious no matter what. So, so like, with that, I just, I felt like, obviously, there had to be a shift. There had to be something. So there came another time where the argument was going to arise. And thank God that he was always in me, with me, around me. That he gave me the, the ability to just stand tall and say, you know what? I'm going back home. Because that was my thing. It was pride. I did not want to go home. Obviously, I'm trying to find a way out, right? So I didn't want to come back home. But I did. And I thank God for my loving parents who welcomed me back with open arms. And so with that, I came here to TSF. And I was able to get baptized, which was my lifelong dream, trying to convince my parents. I was able to get baptized and... Everything was like, you know, falling into place. Things were being confirmed for me, and it was just amazing. So just his grace, right? So his grace. So I was able to get baptized. Of course, we're not perfect, so we do stumble again. But if I could leave you with this word of encouragement, to know that God's grace is always sufficient and always enough, and he was always going to be able to provide for you, even when you're no good, because we all feel undeserving sometimes, right? He's always there. Um, ever, since I was, ever since I gave this testimony a few months ago, my life changed drastically. Um, I'm still standing in front of you, not perfect, but determined to keep going, determined to know that God will, will do everything he said in his word. The songs that we sing, they're real. So if you're singing it, if you're reading the word, everything, it's real. It is so evident in your life. You just have to take a moment and listen to him. So I bless you all. 
and I thank you for listening. And one more thing, my family will serve the Lord. It's going to happen. Amen. I thank God for a young person who has made a choice, even in her imperfection, in the middle of her mess, she rose up and made a choice that Jesus is going to be the rock of her salvation. See, we need to turn off every voice of the culture that mocks and ridicules and take a stand for the very word of God. So I'm going to ask everyone to stand right now. I I believe that there's some of you here that you're going through the storms. The wind is blowing up against you. Maybe there's a storm in your marriage, in your home, in your emotions, maybe in your finances. Life is battering you. In your mind. Maybe at work, you're getting beat and battered by the winds and the rains. If that's you, I want to ask you to come up front because I want to declare God's word over you. Maybe maybe the, the fact is that you're in trouble right now. Maybe the fact is you're going through the storm. But the truth is that you will prevail. So if that's you, if you're brave enough and you don't care who's looking at you, I'm going to ask you to just come forward right now. If that's you, you're in the storm. Say, I would be the first one up here. I'll, I'll admit it, I don't care if I'm a pastor. Sometimes it's hard even waking up in the morning to face one more day. So for those who are up here, I'm going to ask those in the prayer team to come and begin to declare God's truth over them. We have a prayer team that's got the word in their hearts. So I'm going to ask you to come forward. You all know who you are. You got to unstick yourself from your seat. And I'm just going to begin to declare over you right now, whether you're up here or not, I declare the truth of God's word over you, that you are the head. You are not the tail. You are not a loser. You are victorious. You are great in God. I declare over those of you, maybe you're going, the truth is that you're under attack today. The, the enemy has been after you. But the truth is that he is under your feet, that he is defeated. No weapon formed against you will prosper. I 
I speak victory over you. In every place in your life where you feel defeated, you might feel it's over for you. There's some of you here, you feel like you're just about to get wiped out. And I decree and declare over your life that you will stand, that nothing by any means will knock you down in Jesus' name. So let's just begin to worship him. There's not only power in the word, there's power when we declare and praise the name of Jesus. Also, if, if you're part of TSF Espanol, part of the ministry team, you can also come up and help us.
wow. Praise God. Before you leave this place, I want to just give you an update on some news on what God is doing here in this place. Um, you know that this is my son behind me. And I'm a proud daddy who's always never given me a reason to have like to have any breakdowns. He's never stressed me to the point where I actually broke out. He's never been on, I can't even say that, other than being a little lazy, you know? <laughs> But aren't we all though, right, when we're teenagers? But, I, I, but, but he's been a good son. And you know, we had, um, we married him off yesterday. I don't know if you know about that. He and his beautiful wife, Amanda, now Amanda Goiko. I hope you get used to that name. You know, it's, 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 it's awesome when you see young people that want to honor God, you know? And not because of sin or because of just because they want to honor God before anything before the enemy has a foothold in their life, you know? And so I'm proud of him. It's not every day you get to, to marry your kids off, you know? And I wish I could have invited this entire church. You know, we had, a, we had a sweet little service behind here in our annex, you know? Just family. And, uh, and it was beautiful, man. And I gotta say, I kind of was a little iffy going into it, because you know, I'm, I'm, you always want everything to be perfect and everything to be right. But how much perfect could you get to have a kid that wants to honor God? And says, look, I found the one that I want to be with. So then why I gotta wait, you know? And he knows he has our support. You know, and I know he has your support and any person here that's been able to pour into their lives and his life. I want to say thank you. Thank you for the time that you've spoken to him. Maybe the times that you may have brought a little correction, the times you've prayed over him, the things that he wanted to do that you believed in. And even now, as we bring in Amanda into our family, uh, please. She's fair game. You can speak into her life as you have his. But most of all, man, I want to say to my son, I'm proud of you. I asked him, well, are you nervous about this? He said, no, I think I was more nervous for him. But now... The wedding is over. Now the work begins. And that's called the marriage. Your marriage will always be a reflection of your relationship with God. And your relationship with God should always be a reflection of your marriage. You have me and your beautiful mother here. And all these people here that love you. And you can always lean on us. But most of all, I pray that you guys would always lean on God. 
So, that's enough emotion. You are blessed to be a blessing. Have a wonderful week.